Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listening to a podcast from the Word. But anyway, um, are we? Is it? Is it rolling? Yes, mm. is the answer. This is the Word podcast. I'm David Hepworth. I'm joining the pod this week, as usual, by Matt Hall. Hello. Test your level, and uh, by Andrew Harrison. Good morning, viewers. Good morning. Andrew spent the evening last night frantically trying to hack into the, you know, the, I don't know, the Ticketmaster computer or whatever it is to actually get uh, specials tickets. Uh, I did. I, actually, it wasn't me. It was Web Fraser, our genius Web guy Fraser. He's worked out a way to get around. He's, worked, he's found a back way and he's literally hacked it like uh, like war games. <laughs> you want to play a game? He's he's managed to sneak in. So I um, I was able to buy specials tickets. I don't want the listeners to think that we on the word just ring up and say we want 30 tickets for the most hottest band in town Does plus the limo say it doesn't happen anymore they used to they used to helicopter you in and just bury you in canopies didn't they they don't do it anymore not anymore but you managed to get tickets where are they playing they're playing, uh, playing a tour uh, they're doing Two nights at Brixton and various bits up down the country. They're playing Manchester Apollo and, and things like that. When's this happening? This is happening in um, April of next year, I think. I didn't even look, actually. I just thought special. Oh, right. It you might just be assume in, you can... Yeah. You can, you it can might be happening happen. in 2015, actually. I didn't really check. But I would go to the specials at the end of the year. Now, one piece of information that everybody should acquaint themselves with regarding this is published on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, which is former specials leader Jerry Dammers... Um, copious explanation as to why he's not involved in this uh, in this reunion, which uh, the like of which I have never seen. I've seen statements, you know, uh, that that kind of explain tensions with, between between members of bands before, but I've never seen anything like this. Have you? Uh, no, and I think part of the reason is because we we didn't have the internet before, and the internet, of course, has. Uh, unlimited space, and if you want to write what appears to be about a thousand words yeah. of diatribe against why were you not included in the specials reading, just to, just to clarify, it's the specials without Jerry, which to a lot of people, I don't know, is it a gin and tonic without a slice of lemon? I don't know. Um, it's I think a gin it, and tonic I, without the gin. I think it's only like the Beach Boys without Brian, Brian Wilson, and that it only yeah. matters to the kind of anoraks. You know, most agree, people, most actually, people go along. Yeah. 
They want the singer. As long as they hire some other toothless fella to play the organ. <laughs> well, see, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree, because you know, he, he did write all the songs, and he was, well, most of the songs, but and he was quite a central thing to the specials. He wasn't just the guy that played the keyboard. Yeah, but he wasn't one of the three fronts people, was he? You no, know, for the wasn't. average punter, they're not going to miss him. Terry Hall is the one that they would miss. Yes, yes. yeah. Well, for the average punter, then why not just go and see Linville Golding's specials containing Linville Golding and, you know... No, it's, well, it's, it's Terry Hall, yeah. isn't it? Wow. But, a- Andrew... Pracy for us this extraordinary statement. Well, the statement is is is, is, is huge, um, and it, it, it's essentially he's saying that um, the thing has been put together by um, Terry Hall's manager, uh, who is interested in getting a saleable version of the specials onto stage, which doesn't necessarily include Jerry, and that there were rehearsals without Jerry, that uh, the deals were done without Jerry, and that when the, this is a, all according to Jerry Dammers's um, own perspective on this, that. Um, the whole thing was set up uh, with, uh, with, without his involvement, uh, and that they held a band meeting, a pre-tour band meeting, to which Jerry wasn't invited. Jerry turned up to it anyway. Can you imagine this? I would have he loved, turns up. Yeah, I would love to have been a small black and white check fly on the wall for that particular, <laughs> you know, court in session. Um, that would have been highly entertaining. Um, Jerry says that uh, he suggested serious rehearsals and new material, um, mostly the old stuff, but a little bit of these. Well, I can't. Yeah. Can you see why they didn't invite? <laughs> well, now, Andrew, I've got sympathy with Jerry Dammers. No, absolutely, I have yeah. sympathy. Because it is his band. Uh, except that you could say, after however many years have gone past, thirty. Yes. Yes. It is sort of no longer his group. It's kind of whatever it is, isn't it? You know, you've released well, it into the world. I d- well, it I is know. what people think it is, isn't well, it? Well, I would if 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 it had been if the, if the specials had been continuing in one form or another for uh, the past thirty years, and then Jerry had turned up and said, "Actually, I want back in," I'd agree with that. But actually, what happened is these are all the guys that left the band, oh, leaving yeah. Jerry holding the pork pie hat. Yeah, you yeah. know, Jerry <laughs> Jerry continued making the fantastic in the studio album with the special AKA with a bunch of new people, including the magnificent. Rhoda. Are you the uh, person that listened to that? A lot. Of, Mark Ellen, the editor of the Word magazine, considers it you a and masterpiece <laughs> of Brian Bell's portions. My now, breakfast has arrived. Keep okay. going over it. Now, that, that's the sound of a sausage Fraser sandwich. Fraser makes arrived. my breakfast. <laughs> that was there the sound of a sausage yeah. sandwich arrived at the day, like from Web Fraser, who knows it's a hack ticket. No, because if, if, if Fraser made your and breakfast. It's toasted. That would be whale row on toast. Yeah. Fraser has come in this morning with a focaccia. He's baked himself. Yeah. Before so, you start, I know that whales are mammals, so they don't have row. So nobody needs to post that <laughs> on, the, uh, on the website. Anyway. So, yeah, where were we? No, Jerry carried on, sold on. And in the studio, it's fantastic. It's got three Nelson Mandela on it, Dave. It's got the biggest hit, probably, that they had around the world. So I, I can understand why you feel... Yeah, but they're not going to do that, are they? That's a good That's a really good point. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to bet you money that they do. They probably they will, actually. They will cost them. How can they not How do will it? they set that, that one up? Well, do you want That's a really good idea. What's it going to be now? <laughs> we freed. Yeah, we freed Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Of course, of course they'll do it. And, you know, Jerry, Jerry carried the torch of the specials while, you know, the Fun Boy 3 were off being the Fun Boy 3 and, 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 and so forth. So I can, I can really see his point. On the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, Absolutely. relations have clearly been a little bit frayed over the years. Um, and Jerry also, let's yeah. be fair, has been the Howard Hughes of um, South London DJ yeah, for the last kind of, of 20 you know, years, hasn't he? What does that mean? But it means that um, every time that anyone's tried to interview him about anything to do with the specials, 
he's gone very politely, thank you, but no thanks, I'm DJing in South London dives. Which is why I'm surprised at what he's saying here, which is that he wanted to put together a, re- a, you know, a proper uh, 30th anniversary celebration, you know, all the medals, big time thing, because previously he's shown no interest whatsoever in getting this. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And, you know, I think anybody who's got up at the crack of dawn to buy special tickets probably actually would like to hear one or two new songs. They'd like to hear a little bit of new stuff. They'd like the idea that the specials are maybe not just a heritage act, and not just regurgitating the old stuff. Yeah. So I'm slightly disappointed. It needs a little bit of, bit of a bad taste in my mouth because, you know, they were the second live band I saw ever in my life, mm. and it was the second to last gig they ever played, and there was has, a fist um, fight on stage. Fantastic. So even then they were kind of getting on each other's nerves. Has, um, has Sir Horace Gentleman released a set... Um Statement no about statement why he's uh, involved from, um, in it. Or Roddy Radiation. Roddy Radi- I'd love to read Roddy Radiation. So. Well, well, Jerry, and you can read it on the website, uh, Jerry accuses um, Roddy uh, of, of saying that all Jerry wanted to do was slow down jazz versions of special songs. Uh, but read between the lines. Yes. You do get the impression that the, the specials that Jerry has in his head would be box office poison. <laughs> that, that Jerry kind of wants to go on stage and sort of do something... Strange and challenging. There's always Whereas been a whoever's behind this wants Ghost Town too much too I don't young. Think it's, I don't think that's what it's about because I mean even there's always even been a Pharaoh Sanders element. Well, even Jerry's no, idea of the special. Even Jerry's idea of what's mad and strange isn't that mad and strange. You know, in the studio isn't 28 minute jazz odysseys. It's pop songs. You know, I think what it's really about is that the ugly truth is that they they couldn't get on at all at the end and. It hasn't been stitched up. It hasn't been stitched together in the intervening 26 years. They just don't get on. And the, and the guy that's put it together, um, who is... Well, one of them is Simon Jordan, the chairman yeah. of Crystal Palace. Yeah, and uh, he's obviously a very sharp businessman. With very a, sharp. And go, those, go and Google Simon Jordan. Yeah, and those the, are the, the last... The Simon yeah. Jordan. <laughs> I, I think... Well, can I use the expression spiff? No. no. <laughs> Not in relation to Simon Jordan. <laughs> very sharp and committed businessman with a clear love of the music of the specials. Oh, yeah. There you go. But also, he was a, a, clearly a man manager and knows that they're very, you don't, you don't want to turn in the swimming pool, do you? You don't want a, you don't want a big row two nights before the tour's about to start on a massive insurance payment and all the rest of it. And so what's your nightmare if you're a member of the refilm specials, opening night of the tour, Matt? What's your worst nightmare? Front stage of audience. What's going to happen? <laughs> a glowering Jerry Dammit. <laughs> a man who's going to come on stage. Oh, well, yeah, he will. Yeah. I, honestly... Now, there's a little bit of previous for this, because did you see when Blondie were inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Right. Jimmy Destry just turned up, didn't he? Mm. You know, former, you know, considerable bad blood between former members. Yeah. Turned up. Having been invited, I think, uh, on his own by the organisers, because he wasn't... Because member of Blondie. Blondie on Wikipedia and went, yeah, he's in the band. <laughs> well, you know, he had been during... <laughs> guy. Can't be too many destries in the No, but during their glory years, you know. And uh, turned up and obviously wanted to play. And they yeah. basically said, no, yeah, I can't, you know. So you can imagine that. On what's supposed to be their evening of reconciliation and recognition, the greatest triumph, the same old, you know, nasty... You know, fights. Are, are bands unique in their ability to fall out and hold a grudge over, over the years? Well, no, they're people, not, but they, but they are unique in this respect. That 30, and we've discussed this many times on this podcast, that they're the only groups of people that 30 years after they did whatever they did are called upon to do it again. Do it again yeah. You know, football teams are not put back together again when they're 60 they years old. Except on, except on, except on, the, on the Sky Plus five-a-side... Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Premiership. Pre- yeah, 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 yeah. 
And, and, and they're fine, actually. They, they get on fine. Imagine if a magazine was to reunite the team from Smash Hits from 100 years ago and try and put a magazine. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it, Dave? Oh, they'd be appalling fights. Yeah, it'd be absolutely awful. Terrible fights. Yeah. Um, but, of course, another band that have uh, reformed this week, Blur. Yeah. Yes. And they, Although, they have they, put their arguments behind them, apparently. They're in. They've only been... They've only been split up for... Well, they made an album, like, what, four years ago? And, you know... When did Graham leave? 1999? Yeah. It's not ten, a long no. time ago. No, I suppose it's not. not 26 years of bubbling rancour. No, that's Is it? No. But somebody has clearly said there's a big payday in this. I think it's... Is it Live Nation? Something it's like rumoured yeah. to be um, figures with six zeros. But I the, think this is basically what happens. And as we've said many times on this podcast, who among us would say no if that happened? If they said months work, you know, swallow your pride... Large check. And yeah. Alex Jones can't live on cheese forever. <laughs> Man cannot live by cheese well, alone. All I would say is specials, 35 quid. Blair, 45 quid. Which is the bargain? There's more specials, the six of them. Okay. <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. My, the thing that I've learned this week involves a group, a, 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 an assembly reformed from even further ago than the specials, okay? Which is, this week, I went to have my hair cut, and, uh, which is a, obviously a big event. Reunited with his barber. Yes. <laughs> Small children. Feels so good. Children are given the day off school, you know. Whatever. And um, I go to, there's a barber in Kingley Street in, uh, in Soho, just behind Carnaby Street, which has been there for a long time. There's been a men's barber there. On that site, apparently, talking to the lady who runs it, for a hundred years. Anyway, it's a lovely, crisp cold, sunny December morning. It might have had barber above the door shop, Dave, but I bet it wasn't a barber so <laughs> hundred years ago. <laughs> okay, but I want you to barber think. Barber surgeon. So I was, I, was, I was sitting there looking at that on this pleasing aspect, and I was thinking, you know, it's almost like swinging London, you know what I mean? The sun shining. And at that point, I look through the window, and I see coming down Kingley Street a chap who is... In his 60s, but very well preserved in his 60s. And he has a fine mop of robust silvery hair, okay? Quite smartly dressed, coming down the road, and he is walking as if he's whistling, you know, as if he's really enjoying the day. And he is swinging at his side an electric guitar case, okay? So imagine this. Yeah. This is like something out of, a, out of It's Trad Dad in 1962 or something. Yeah. Coming down the road. And I'm looking at her and thinking, I, I, I recognise you. And what's more, he comes into the barbers. And he yes. says to the woman cutting my hair, who clearly knows, are we still all right for Thursday? I said, yeah, fine. Four o'clock, see you on Thursday. He said, OK, I'm just going to rehearsal now, see if I can still remember the chords. Bit of a joke. And I'm looking at him through the mirror, and of he knows I recognise him, you know, because I can just tell. And I go, I think you can remember the chords. And he goes off, whistling down the street towards the London Palladium. Bruce Welsh, out of the shadows, off to the rehearsal for the Royal Variety Performance reunion of Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Fantastic. Isn't that absolutely... <laughs> that's pretty great. I didn't, I didn't find about the specials in my barber's day, but that's, that's still just, pretty great. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. And that he was still... You don't see... The only people you see carrying guitar cases around are would-be indie band members, 18 years old. 
aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Anybody who's re- achieved any level of success has it carried around for it's them. Quite, is he an OBE, Mr. Bruce there. Welsh? Sorry, is he, is he an OBE, Mr. Bruce? Yes, Welsh? he is. Yeah. It's quite funny <laughs> that you'd say around there because Kingley Street was the epicenter of all that. It's you know jazz calf. Well, it's yeah. also that barber having been there for years. Yeah. And anyway, I I put an item about this on my on my blog. And I've just this morning had an email from the Cliff Richard Information Service, which is based in Holland. It's like you can't move anywhere on the surface of the earth without yes. them knowing. Saying, can you just confirm that this took place in the Barber's Point in Kingdom Street? So now, you know, obviously, I was thinking there'll be a little pin on their map yeah, on their Google, where Cliff and the Shabs were. The Cliffopedia is going to be updated, Dave. Anyway, it made, it made my day. Well, it made my yeah. week, actually. Don't you like the fact that uh, a man like Bruce Welsh actually goes to a barber's and probably has been going there since about 1968? I suppose. Yeah. Admittedly, on, on, on the day of the recording, which I think maybe today, actually, they're doing the Royal Variety performance, he's only going for a blow-dry. It's not actually... It's not a cut and colour. <laughs> it's nothing like that. But, you know, if you see him looking particularly well... well that's only, you know, only going to be a fiver, then, isn't it? As opposed to, like, the eight quid that you <laughs> pay for your, for your washing cup. All right. And, Matt, what did you learn this week? <laughs> I learned this week that um, in all the um, eulogies written for um, Oliver Postgate, who sadly passed away, I learned that, uh, that they used to, <laughs> used to swear on the clangers. <laughs> what, through... <laughs> Through the, through the medium of a, of a swanny whistle or whatever. Yeah. Admittedly, it was just like nine, late, late 1960s children swearing. So occasionally, the, um, the Colonel, General Clang? Colonel Clang? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, said things like, sod it and oh. bloody. <laughs> <laughs> this is according to Mark Lawson in, uh, in, in The Guardian. Because it's one of those things you never verify, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like Max Fleischer, the guy, the animator who did uh, Betty Boop. Yeah. Because of the speed at which, you know, the, the frames went past, the animators were allowed a certain number of frames uh, where Betty Boop's skirt went up and she was not, you know, wearing any nether garments. <laughs> You're allowed to do that because it was simply invisible to yeah, the yeah, naked yeah. eye, you know, but only the animators would know. Oh, that's a very good thing. Have you learned anything this week, Andrew? God, um, yes, that it's possible to hack Ticketmaster. That's all I've yeah, learned. Oh. <laughs> Is that all? That's, yes. I'm but you're going to carry that information with you to it's your grave. It's a useful bit of information. <laughs> Uh, I read uh, another thing I discovered, which I, I wrote down last night, which just to, just to pass it on on the podcast, is that somebody once described Lester Piggott as having the face of a well-kept grave. You'd <laughs> 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 never be able is to look at it. Never be able to look at him the same again. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. Uh, one of the things that I just wanted to talk about. Uh, particularly when we three are gathered, because I know we three are all knee-deep in this, in this whole pursuit, is a piece in the current issue of Word, on sale now, at your newsagent, hurry, 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 about, I suppose, box-set television, mm-hmm. about clever television. And I know that we all spend insane amounts of our time, yeah, ploughing our way through, yeah, um, big, largely American series of telling. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you've written you've written the introduction to this because you know what we seem to be saying is this is actually a completely new way of watching television. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Well, I mean, it used to be that uh, people used to complain about repeats, didn't they? They say too many. Repeats. I don't. No, nobody does it anymore. But I met in the seventies. No, I mean, the I papers think... were full of like. More I think media pages do. I don't think re- members no, of the public. It do. used to be well, not anymore. But when we were all growing up, people used to complain about repeats on the telly because they felt like they weren't getting value for money, and. Another reason he's to complain about it is because if something was repeated, they had probably seen it before. There were only three channels. Now there are so many 
that when something goes out on, you know, even a, even a terrestrial channel, it's, it's more of a kind of, by the way, you might want to pick this up on DVD later. And if it goes out, like my current favourite show, Breaking Bad, uh, if it Breaking goes out, Bad. Breaking Bad. That's the one where the, where the chemistry teacher is told by his doctor that he's got terminal cancer. So he does what we would all do under the circumstances. He opens a meth lab to provide for his family. Brilliant, brilliant show. This is American, isn't it? American show. But and wanders around the desert in his scanties. Exactly, yeah. Uh, cooking meth in a caravan um, with hilarious results. But it went out on FX. And frankly, you need a Sherpa to find FX. You need a compass and a divining rod to, to find this channel. So it goes out, and it's going to get modest. I'm sure it's a smash hit for the channel, which is, you know, it's a, it's a niche channel. But what you really want is the DVD box set. You want to be able to immerse yourself in the, what is it? I think it's only eight episodes. You want to be able to sit down and really drink it in and really suck the marrow out of it. Um, I, had a, I had the uh, assistant in Borders yesterday climbing through the window display to get the last remaining... <laughs> to get away from you. <laughs> yeah, to get away from me. To get the last remaining uh, full series wire box at a, at a very favourable price. Because, you know, I, I know that that's what I'm going to be spending Christmas doing. It's, it's going to be three episodes of nice, a glass of wine. You know, it, it, it's, it's a completely different way of taking this it stuff is. in. Because but you're not, you don't have to make a date for it. So you have to go, oh, God, 9 o'clock Wednesday. You don't even look at your planner on your Sky Plus going, God, I've got a lot of catching up to do here. The disc's filling up. I've got four episodes of Heroes I haven't watched. And I've got You've got Sky Plus? Yeah. Ooh. It's uh, changed your life, Dave. You've got Sky Plus, mate. No. Well, I'm, you got children. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was some, even for somebody with children, it makes more sense because it, you can you can take the stuff that you want. You, you can just tell it. Save all the have I got news is for you, yeah. or save all. And then, and then three months later, I can go delete all of them without. Well, you can watching. watch them at your leisure. You can watch them when the nippers are gone. To but this is the this is the interesting thing because when you said, "Oh, we'd be talking about this," I started thinking about what box sets I've got and what ones work. And I don't know whether it's just me, and I don't think it is. The only thing that TV box sets work, the only genre they work in, is drama. Because actually, I've got loads of comedy box sets, sitcoms. Yeah. I've got uh, Peep Show, Larry Sanders, five five series of Peep Show, first series of Larry Sanders. It doesn't work the same way. It doesn't work the same way, but it does work. Well, because I'd, I've never, I've not, I've, I haven't watched hardly any of them. I've dipped in, and then I leave them for like months and months because the problem is with sitcoms. The rule is everything ends at exactly the same state that yeah, it, in exactly changes. the same yeah. state Although that it began. Really the case Whereas the drama show. drives on, and you want to see what happens next. Yeah. But Peep Show changes. Peep Show a little evolves. bit, but yeah. But I, I think the, the weird thing that we, we're, we're in a weird moment with the way telly is created now because you get in all the high gloss, the shows that we bang on about, you know, the Battlestar Galacticas and the Wires and all the rest of it. These are shows that if you miss episode one, you might as well not bother. Yeah. You know, you've got to watch the whole thing. Yeah. If you miss an episode, you might as well not bother. Yeah, yeah. And they're like you know, books. From, they are like books, and it gets massive engagement from the people who really love it. And, and, and none and, at all with anybody else. None at all with anybody else. And what you haven't got is that old Rockford Files thing, which is you could just dip it's in on a Wednesday and watch any episode. Yeah. You know, you didn't need the backstory, and you didn't need the you know you didn't need to project into the future. Because that kind of was like a sitcom. You know, Jim yeah. always Jim was still living in the caravan. Yeah, Rocky would still leave the yeah. antiphone. There's messages. a caper. They solve the caper. They go yeah. back, and there's a bit of laughing, and then it's the yeah. end. You know. That's you know drama used to be made purely episodically and could be repeated in any order because yeah. it was built for reruns. Yeah. Now we've got this weird kind of afterlife where everything is built for a different kind of a rerun. It's built for the rerun that exists in your in your DVD cabinet. Because presumably the next thing that's going to happen 
is that the big blockbuster series will be done, will come out as the box set, you can buy it, and then it'll be shown on the television. Because also... Presumably, hard because that's... Well, oh, yeah. even more than that, he talked to David Simon about The Wire. He said he couldn't believe how much money they made out of the UK DVD box set market. Yeah. M- uh, proportionally more than they did in America. Far more. Yeah. Well, because they were selling it in a different way. I mean, I'm wondering whether the credit crunch has, 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 done, the, 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 has, has done anything to the um, financial situation with box sets. Because I had a look on Amazon the other day. And I couldn't believe what you could pick up for a it's relatively... So you know, but the wire, I, I, the wire is still premium price. Uh, really? The wire is still like 15, I think they're 15, finding if you talk to people in series. shops, well, you look at you look at HMV, you know, you, you, uh, um, Zavi, it's the same thing. It's DVDs at the front. Yeah. Because what they've found is that although all these media are under considerable challenge from illegal file sharing and all kinds of things, people are still happy to pay for DVD box sets because they look at it and yeah. think. Think how many hours of entertainment yeah. I get out of that, and also my family will get out of that, and I'll come back to it in two years' time. They look at the average CD, they don't feel that way. Yeah. You know? but That's it's like the challenge they've got in the record business. Well, the, the, but, the, well, there's the information about, the most recent information we have about how many times people will listen to an album, it's roughly about ten times that you listen to an album before you, you give it up. Um, and how many times do you make it to the end? You know, they used to make, this is my, my boring fact that I keep trying out, they used to make cassette tapes uh, with the kind of uh, were and tear quotient of, I think, nine plays. Oh, really? Because they knew that if you bought an album on cassette, you'd never play it more than nine times. You just, oh, get, yeah. you just get sick of it. You know, yeah. music wears out a lot faster. Also, you're just saying about, you know, premium price things are still 15 quid. That's not premium price. That's what an album used no, to but, No, but, for instance, you can get the complete West Wing, right, on Amazon. Seven series, 44 discs for 50 quid. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a bargain well, in anyone's, three, three in anyone's ago, language. Three years ago, that would have been 100 quid. Yeah, precisely. Really I'm wondering whether that's because yeah. it was talked about and really hugely, you know, everyone was kind of banging on about the West Wing perfect like political TV and drama and whatever, and now it's kind of fallen out of the public gaze. It's like the other thing that, you, that I noticed that was amazing, which isn't a TV series, but if you want to get a 14-disc Hitchcock, Hitchcock boxed set, not your... Not your second run stuff, but yeah. Marnie, yeah, yeah, Torn Curtain, yeah, Psycho. Yeah. 18 quid <laughs> for 14 hits. Yeah, well, he's probably gone out of copyright if it was ever. I, I don't know. No, well, these are the later. These, are, these aren't the no, early, right, early yeah, UK, yeah, yeah. early British kind of black and white. The real thing with all games for studios is, ones. It's, it's not the access, it's not the price, it's the time to watch these things and where do you fit them in? Yeah. Well, now I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to interject at this point because I have discovered, you know, grown up family and so forth. Um, and I have discovered that in our house, attempting to synchronise one's uh, the family's viewing of anything is is doomed. And the only way I've managed to watch The Wire, The West Wing, Thirty Rock, Weeds, whatever, is on my own. Yeah, I do it first thing in the morning. And also, this is the thing that's changed: don't watch it on the television anymore. Don't go in the living room. That's that's kind of where the big telly is. That's sort of family space. <laughs> yeah. That's strictly come dancing in the news and whatever. What dad you wants to watch, news, you, you know, is a, there's a laptop in the front. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you sit and watch it and you don't have to say, to, I know this sounds terrible, but I can't help but think this is the future of viewing. You don't have to say, I was thinking of watching so-and-so. You, and then somebody says, oh, well, I'm two episodes behind you. Well, you're never going to get on with it. So you'll end up watching telly the way you have listened to music. Mm. 
Uh, over the last are, 10, 20 years. Except there are no spoilers in music, are there? I mean, the real problem with The Wire is because we all want to talk about it, and we can't because I'm halfway through Series 2, and uh, you've watched a lot. Somebody else has only seen Series 1. So the big question everybody's facing is, what do you watch after The Wire? Which I see was a question that you put, Andrew, I think, to um, Cedric Daniels yeah, out of The he Wire. Said, he, he suggested Brotherhood. Brotherhood. Uh, which sounds great, actually, and I might get to watch that in about 2019. There's Deadwood that I haven't watched. Have you yeah, watched Deadwood? Deadwood? Deadwood's great. Deadwood's great, apart from... Um, Deadwood finishes season three, and it's, it was the story arc was supposed to go on for five seasons. Oh, and they've only done three. And they only did three seasons because the guy who um, created it went off to make uh, John from Cincinnati, which folded after a Apparently season. Rubbish, isn't yeah, it? you see, because I don't think you'll see, I think you'll see less of these things in the future because I think in the last ten years there's been a massive investment in premium telly in America. Yeah. The yeah. Sopranos they've thrown money at it because they could get the money back. As credit bites and so yeah. forth, yeah. And, and less and less of those channels are going to be around. You know, I, I don't know if they can do it. Where was I reading the other day that they said they could do they could do a series of The Wire for what they paid James Galdof, Galdolfini for one series you of The Wire? In, in the Word magazine. Okay, that well, there you go. I read, <laughs> I read <laughs> Cedric Daniels. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Which I think is, is interesting, yeah. you know, because they journal can't... Of, journal of record. Yes. <laughs> they can't go on doing that kind of yeah. thing endlessly. But yeah. actually, that's what, I, that's what I have started doing. I... I went back and bought the first series of, um, of The Sopranos on DVD. Yeah, and we watched, watched the first episode. It's, just, it's fantastic. It is very good. Exactly. <laughs> as it's it is. ridiculously yeah. good. Can I, just, can I just suggest that also one thing that I'd be interested in people's views on, on this and uh, you know, wordmagazine.co.uk. Uh, I, I'm currently conducting a, a kind of distant affair with two women starring in American <laughs> sitcoms. Do they know about this? Dave? They don't, I'm sure. Does they're Hep- too far above me by half. Does Mrs. Hepworth know about this? No, Mrs. Hepworth doesn't know. One of them is, of course, uh, Mary Louise Parker, who's the star of Weeds, right. who also appears in The West Wing. And the other is Tina Fey, currently on the cover of Vanity Fair, who appears in 30 Rock. Both were brunettes, probably of a rather similar age, play a little bit of a similar character, actually, and I can't decide who to, which one to run away with. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure. Any advice or suggestions? Any advice or suggestions, you know, uh, I'm sure there are many, many word readers who've, uh, who felt the same thing. Uh, is there anything else we've got to cover? No, I think you just need to do something. I just need to do something. Okay. One of the things that intrigued me uh, in most in the, in the latest issue of Word uh, was a guest column written by Awa Haida, uh, uh, contributed to Word, uh, about British sitcom. And she has a unique perspective on this, having been born in Baghdad and moved to the UK as a small child. And I spoke to her earlier this week and got her to tell me about it. I was four months old when my family moved to Britain from um, Baghdad, where I was born. Um, And uh, we spent the next years of my life travelling around small towns all over Britain um, because both my parents were um, doctors. Um, and my, my earliest memories actually related to watching sitcoms, the great British sitcoms of the 1970s and 80s, uh, with both my parents. What were the first ones that you recall, first programs? The very first programs that I recall watching um, were Croft and Perry sitcoms, I think mainly. Um, shows like Are You Being Served, uh, which, which I loved. Um, shows like um, It Ain't Half Hotman, which I, I felt a lot more unsure about. Um, and then a, a lot of other, you know, typically cosy sitcoms of the um, of, of that era, things like Open All Hours. Um, my parents uh, already had a taste for that kind of uh, suggestive 
uh, British humour, which I think Middle Eastern audiences actually warm to um, immediately because uh, Arabic viewers uh, tend to uh, react to, to very graphic uh, language or images with sort of stony disapproval, but that kind of bawdy British seaside humour or sort of nudge-wink suggestiveness um, kind of appeals to, to us as sensibility a bit more. Um, and, I, and it's something that was very much the crux of British comedy of, of that point. You talk in your piece about the the types that uh, that played a part in uh, in British sitcoms. Tell us a bit about that. Well, my earliest memories of British sitcoms were that they kind of like formed a, a, a sort of fledgling impression of what Britishness was for me. So the kind of types that I remember, you know, really sort of making an impression on me were were the misfits um, of you know the supposed misfits of these shows. So. Um, you know the, the camp shop assistants in in are you being served, or the uh, you know the, the, the tenants who had to deal with this terrible feckless landlord in um, uh, in rising damp. Um, over over the years, I mean, sitcoms were so prolific in the 1970s and 80s, and it kind of it eventually kind of started to form this impression to me that um, the, the British seemed um, very well-meaning and likable, but very inherently clumsy and. Um, so interestingly liberal in a way that my parents didn't seem to be, um, but you know, kind of ridiculous and um, likably, likably silly. And it's kind of perspective that I don't think anyone ever really acknowledges because, um, being Arabic, um, I, I'm, I'm very used to sort of hearing this sort of apologetic um, stance about British sitcoms of that era. Or, you know, um, they're, they're terribly on PC, and uh, actually, no one ever seems to acknowledge that to. Uh, a young viewer who happened not to feel British at that point or, or knew that they had foreign roots, uh, that the British looked pretty ridiculous as well. So you didn't find it threatening? I don't think I found British sitcoms threatening in any way. Um, I, I, do recall, I do recall they seemed like a very cosy experience. I mean, that, that was for sort of several reasons, partly because they were, you know, they were very much family viewing. They, I, I, you know, I connected with them in the sense that you, it was something you sat down with both your parents to watch, and that was quite rare. There wasn't much TV you'd do that with. But also it connected with the world that I saw around me in a sense that, you know, I, I could sort of see these, you know, cosy, slightly dreary workplaces and, and towns um, sort of reflected back in a way. Um, I didn't feel threatened, but um, I wouldn't kind of, I wouldn't say that it was a totally um, rose-tinted impression it gave me. There, there were lots of moments of unease. Um, I do remember, you know, even just being a few years old and watching these shows, trying to look for characters that looked vaguely like us. And um, as, you, as you can imagine, I, I realise now how silly that seems, but I mean, um, you know, the, the nearest I got was Ali, this comedy Pakistani character on um, Mind Your Language, which was... Uh, you know, a fairly a fairly terrible LWT show that was based on the premise that uh, that there was this uh, foreign uh, class of foreign students all haplessly trying to learn English, um, or or other shows like um, it, it Ain't Half Hotman, which obviously went kind of one step further and actually had characters who were uh, made up to look um, Asian. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it was quite a dispiriting experience because I think watching it, I was aware that the joke didn't necessarily seem to be. Um, you weren't necessarily laughing along with it. That's not how I felt, and um, it was kind of also a lonely experience as well because, you know, I knew we were the only family in in town that kind of came from um, foreign roots, and in, in our experience anyway. And 
watching uh, watching television sort of seemed to suggest that we were quite alone as well at some point. Mm-hmm. Now that kind of comedy, I suppose, has been swept away and has been replaced by the the likes of Little Britain. What, right. What do you suspect more recent immigrants would make of Britain from programmes like that? Well, it's, it's interesting to take a programme like Little Britain because um, I think it's an example of how savvy and sharp British comedy has, has got. Um, and uh, but in, in, in a, I think I think you know Little Britain clearly has has uh, won international audiences. I mean, it's it's shown certainly all over Europe, and obviously they've made an American version as well. But I think immigrants would. I think, you know, if, if I was coming from it to this from the same sort of perspective, um, I think uh, the, the, same, the same kind of ability to laugh at, at you know, the, the, the sens- you know, sensibility to British um, culture would be are widely appreciated. But in a way, even though um, we can, you know, we can say it's much sharper humour, I don't actually think it's more representative. I mean, a lot of the... You know, a lot of what Little Britain does is is actually just um, fiddle with with stereotypes, whether they're cultural or, sel- uh, or sexual. And um, in some ways, it's very old school. I mean, I, I do you know, I do kind of find myself watching at points and thinking, you know, you know how okay is it to, to laugh at you know, a, you know, a white British bloke playing a tie bride or you know, an overweight black woman. I mean, it's like you know, but it's hilariously funny, and, and I mean, you can't doubt the quality of talent involved. But um, at the same time. What we have now in the 21st century is, you know, you know, irony is a you know, it's, it's the ultimate get-out clause because it can kind of veil intent as well. I'm not suggesting there's a malicious intent behind Little Britain. I, I don't think there is at all. But um, I don't think that as viewers, um, as British viewers, we can kind of uh, really judge from a, a moral high ground that we didn't have in the 70s or 80s. And I suppose the one thing we learned about comedy is that 10 years later, it always looks strange. Well, sorry, David, I didn't hear that question. I think we, the one thing we can always learn from comedy is that ten years later it always looks strange. Absolutely, but I mean, you know, I, I think, I think the, the, I think the situations that, um, that comedy presents to us, even even while watching them as contemporary programmes, they are strange. I mean, that's that's the whole basis of sitcom. Um, you know, uh, there's this there's this apologetic um, notion that you know sitcoms didn't represent um, Britain accurately in the 70s or 80s and to some extent it's true i mean i certainly think it's completely right that a much broader array of british talent now makes these programs and but i mean you know situation comedy only reflects uh life in the same way that a fairground horse mirrors does i mean you get these warped distended grotesque uh images that aren't going to be you know they're not going to be flattering whoever they're portraying but you know they're funny and um sometimes that's something that's uh, that we've lost sight of you can read our Hyder's column in the current issue of word together with a full comprehensive review of the year 2008 on sale now this podcast was brought to you by the word details at wordmagazine.co.uk deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.